And there's different variations of Advent that have been around and, and different traditions that have been done, but commonly the four Sundays each have a different theme, and the themes are hope, joy, love, and peace. And as Joe sort of uh, indicated earlier, because we don't actually have four normal Sunday services left for us before the end of the year, we've decided to use these themes as the basis of what we're talking about, but we're going to do two at a time. Uh, we're going to do the sort of Advent double speed or something like that, uh, just, just to talk about and to prepare our hearts for Christmas, which is coming. So today, I want to talk to you about hope and joy, is what I'm talking about today. Actually, in the car the other day, I was, I was talking with the kids about why Christmas is such a special time of the year, not just for followers of Jesus, but for most people. And we, we realized that the huge part of it is actually the anticipation, isn't it? It's the looking forward. It's, it's the event that happens just once a year, and you're always looking forward to this thing that is coming. And I did some quick calculations, and I figured out that because it's a, a once-a-year thing, including today, I have been alive for 16,404 days, and only 44 of those days have been Christmas. It's like I've wasted the other 16,360 on things that weren't quite as good as Christmas Day. Most people spend a lot of time anticipating Christmas. What's it going to be like? What gifts might be given or received? Who you'll spend the day with? What food you might have? What games you might play? Or what carol services you might go to? It's very easy, especially for kids, but let's be honest, not just kids, to build up a huge amount of expectation, anticipation, and hope for the joy that you're wanting Christmas Day to bring. I think it was around uh, six or seven years ago, I couldn't quite figure it out, but we had a Christmas day that didn't quite live up to the level of anticipation that it had received leading into it. We woke up on Christmas morning to find that two members of the family had a stomach bug, and not a pleasant one at that. I don't know of many pleasant stomach bugs, but this wasn't one. So there was no nice Christmas breakfast they also weren't able to go to the carol service at church, which is something that we love doing because we're able to see so many friends and family on Christmas morning, but it, that didn't happen. We weren't able to go to the family lunch. We just connected via a video call where we got to see all the lovely food we were missing out on and wave to the family from out of town that we hadn't seen for months. The day mostly consisted of sitting around feeling sick and or sorry for ourselves, basically. A couple of us did manage to briefly see some other family in the evening, but it was not the day that we had planned. Compounding the matter even further, especially from the kids' perspective, is that this particular Christmas, our main gift for the whole family was that we'd booked a special holiday together for the next year. So they had basically nothing to unwrap on the day and certainly nothing to actually play with. Uh, and particularly our oldest son wasn't, wasn't given any toys because it was the holiday that we were giving. And the one present he did get on the day that he could have done something with was a set of basketball DVDs, but because everyone else was home doing nothing, he wasn't allowed to take over the TV with something that the other kids wouldn't enjoy watching. So he couldn't even get those out of the box. And to be honest, all the kids did an amazing job of putting on a brave face and managed to remain pretty positive and grateful all day, even under the circumstances. But I will never forget the moment that when I was putting Ethan to bed that Christmas night. He wasn't one of the ones that was sick, by the way. I gave him a hug, I said goodnight, and just said how sorry I was that the day hadn't been what we wanted, 
and he just burst into tears. He absolutely started sobbing. I realized he must have been, he was holding it in all day. He hadn't wanted to let his disappointment show, but he was just devastated by missing out on all the things that he'd been hoping for. He didn't get to see the people he'd been wanting to see. He didn't get to eat the food he'd been wanting to eat. He didn't get to play the games he'd been wanting to play. He didn't get to do any of the activities that he'd been looking forward to. And even though he was thankful for the idea of the holiday, he hadn't received that one gift, a particular Lego set that he'd been really hoping for. And a holiday was just another future thing that he wasn't able to experience today on Christmas Day. I can't remember the exact phrase he used, but it was something along the lines of, it all just sucked. And I, all, all I was able to offer was, yeah, yeah, buddy, it, it's not been what we wanted. I couldn't replace his Christmas day with another one. Like, that was it. We'd had it. There was not another Christmas day coming for another year. All he'd been anticipating, all he'd been expecting, all he'd been hoping for for the past year None of it happened. And he just had to try and cope with the fact that Christmas Day was over. It didn't actually get any better because over the next couple of days, two more of us got the bug, of course, so we were stuck home for about, for about a week. And Ethan didn't get sick the whole time, and uh, he still didn't get to do anything because he was stuck home with us. You know, Thomas Fuller, this is a great way to start a message on hope and joy, isn't it? It's really, really good. Thomas Fuller, who was a 17th century English scholar and author, once wrote, if it were not for hopes, the heart would break. But if those hopes aren't realized, it's just as heartbreaking. In fact, we have a well-known proverb in Proverbs 13, verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. See, the difficulty for Ethan that year was that in that moment, as he looked back on his day, as he thought about all he had expected and anticipated, and compared that with what had actually taken place, his hope hadn't turned into joy. The longing that he'd had hadn't been fulfilled. He'd been hoping for a particular outcome, but that wasn't the outcome that he received. His hope didn't turn into joy. I think we have difficulty sometimes when we talk about the word hope. Because we often use the, the term hope when we're really just talking about wishful thinking. Like, I hope it's warm tomorrow. Or I hope it snows tomorrow. One of the two. I hope the All Blacks win. I hope my car gets a warrant. I hope we have waffles for breakfast. Those are all quite trivial things, but maybe what we're hoping for is a little bit more significant than that. I hope my children are safe. I hope I have enough money this week. I hope I pass my exams. And they're all fine things. Those are all things that are perfectly reasonable to desire, but they're all just really wishful thinking. I hope this happens. I hope that happens. But the kind of hope that the Bible talks about goes much deeper than that. And there are several different words used throughout the Scripture that are all translated as hope, and they paint a much stronger, deeper, and more powerful picture of what hope really is more than just wishful thinking. One definition that someone wrote is that biblical hope is the confident, joyful, and patient expectation of something good. It's confident, joyful, and patient. Biblical hope is confident. It's assured. It's a confident expectation, not just a mere desire. See, if I was to say, I hope the weather's good tomorrow, what I'm really saying is, I can't have any certainty 
that the weather will be good tomorrow, but I desire that it will be. But biblical hope doesn't just desire for a good thing, it has a confident expectation that it will come to pass. There is a moral certainty about it, that's what distinguishes biblical hope. Hebrews 6 is a great chapter where it talks about the certainty of God's promises to us, and in verse 19 it says this, We have this hope, that is the promises of God, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It's saying we can have confidence when putting our hope in the promises of God. It is a firm and secure hope. It is a certainty. It's an anchor for the soul. The second thing about biblical hope is that it's joyful. It's connected to that word joy. And sometimes we use the word hope about things we don't want to happen. I hope I don't forget my password. Or I hope I don't lose my keys. Or I hope it doesn't rain. We're actually using the word hope in a negative sense. We're actually, we're saying the word hope, but what we're actually doing is worrying. And we're just sticking the word hope in there. But biblical hope is joyful. It's positive. The hope itself actually brings feelings of joy and expectation. Romans 15 verse 13, which is a verse we regularly read at the end of our services. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Biblical hope is confident, biblical hope is joyful, and biblical hope is also patient. The words that we translate as hope include in them the idea of waiting, of there being a delay between what is hoped for and its fulfillment. But because of the confidence and assurance, because of the certainty and the joy that biblical hope brings, it also carries with it a sense of patience and trust that the longing will be fulfilled at the right time. Romans 8 verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Actually, as an aside, there was, there was one good conclusion to the story from earlier is that when we went on our holiday the next year, we went into a store and there on the shelf, half price clearance was the Lego set <laughs> that Ethan had wanted for Christmas that he was able to buy for himself. So, you know, sometimes, sometimes if you wait long enough, it does work out, right? Sometimes. When the Bible says hope in God, it doesn't just mean to cross your fingers and make a wish. It means to have a confident, joyful, and patient expectation that God will do great things. That is biblical hope. And biblical joy, too, has a, a deeper and richer meaning than the context in which we often use the word. You know, joy is a feeling. It, it absolutely is. It's both in the general sense and in the biblical sense. Joy isn't an idea. It's not a conviction. It's, joy isn't a, isn't a decision that we've made. It's a feeling within our soul. But the Bible also tells us that joy is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Bible also tells us that biblical joy is found in the presence of God. It's not just something that we create ourselves. Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And because it is a gift of the Spirit, 
And because it is found in the presence of God, biblical joy, much like hope, doesn't just depend on our own circumstances. In fact, the Bible tells us to have joy at all times. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. In all things and in all circumstances, we are still able to find joy in the Lord and in the presence of God and through the work of the Holy Spirit. So how does all this fit into the context of Advent and Christmas? What is the hope that we can have that is a confident, joyful, and patient expectation? Is that the attitude we should have towards the gifts that might be waiting for us in our stockings or under the tree? Are we to hope that Christmas Day will bring us the joy that we've been longing for? Will I finally get that Lego set that nobody's ever bought me? No. But from even before Jesus was born, the whole idea of Christmas has been about hope and joy. And at the time of Jesus' birth, the, Je- Jewish, sorry, the Jewish people were living under great oppression, but they were also living with great hope. See, they were looking for and believing for and hoping for the Messiah, the one who would deliver them and save them from their bondage to the Roman Empire. And this is a hope that they as a people had been carrying for hundreds and hundreds of years. Their prophets spoke of it. Their songs told of it. Their elders and their writings had passed it down from generation to generation. There is hope for us. God has promised us. God will deliver us. There is a Messiah coming. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. One of the most famous passages to read in the Christmas season. For to us... A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know, this passage in Isaiah was written roughly seven or eight hundred years before the birth of Jesus. And this prophecy and many others like it were what the Jewish people carried as their hope, their promise from God that he would change their circumstances, the promise of a new kingdom, the promise of a new authority, a new world of peace and justice and righteousness. And it was into that climate of hope and expectation that Jesus was born. Of course, for some, Jesus wasn't exactly what they were expecting because they'd started to put their hope in the outcomes. They'd started to put their hope and their expectation in the justice, in the kingdom, the government, and the rule that the Messiah would bring. But the first part of that passage, the first part of that promise, and what should be the focus of our hope was that a child would be born, a son would be given. And that's what happened in that small town of Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago. And then we read in Luke chapter 2, what happened, when that happened. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I bring you good news that will bring great joy. Why? 
Because your longing has been fulfilled. The one you've been hoping for, the one in whom you can put all your hope, the promised Messiah, the one prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Savior, is born. Hope has arrived. Hope has been realized. Your hope can now be turned into joy because of this child born in Bethlehem. I really think that we need to be reminded in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, that we're not hoping for something. We are hoping in someone. Jesus is the hope of the world. Matthew 12, verses 18 to 21, describes Jesus like this. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon them, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And his name will be the hope of all the world. His name will be the hope of all the world. That's a confident, joyful, patient expectation of something good. It's not found in an outcome. It's not found in a government. It's not found in a sports team or in a job. It's not found in a leader. It's not found in a relationship. It isn't found in a gift under a tree. The confident, joyful, and patient hope is found in the name of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Hope and joy. Joy and hope. These two words, these two ideas are deeply connected. They're connected to each other. They're connected to our faith, and they're connected to the Christmas season. See, hope fulfilled leads to joy. And joy experienced creates more hope. And hope shared with others leads to more joy. I want to explore one more short passage with you this morning from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And it's that phrase, fixing our eyes on Jesus, that's so important here. The word that's used literally means to look away from everything else. So all our focus, all our attention is on Jesus. Or another way to say that is to put all our hope, all our confidence, all our faith, all our trust in Jesus. Let us cast aside everything that hinders, that includes all sin, all fear, all doubt, but also all distractions or anything else that we're tempted to put our trust in, or anything else that we put our hope in or rely on, put all of that aside, the author is saying, and fix your eyes solely on Jesus, because Jesus is the hope of the world. In his name is the hope of all nations. We're not hoping for something. We are hoping in someone. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And then this passage in Hebrews carries on in verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross. He went through all that pain, 
all that suffering, all that torture. Why? It tells us for the joy set before him. Well, what was the joy set before him? Us. The hope of reconciliation between us and Father God. Jesus looked right through the cross, beyond the torment, beyond the pain, enduring all that it meant for him because of the future joy of bringing salvation to those that he loves. And I think that's really cool. Just consider that for a moment. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. But we are, or we were the joy set before him. He is the hope of the world, and we are the joy set before him. He is our hope because he endured the cross, but he endured the cross because of the coming joy of our salvation. Our salvation through Jesus is what we can have a confident hope in, a confident, joyful, patient expectation that we will spend eternity with him. And then the last part of this passage, verse 3, says, Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, what's growing weary and losing heart? It's losing hope. So you won't lose hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world. We are the joy set before him, the joy that led him to endure the cross, that we could all be reconciled to the Father. And it's saying here, when you consider that, when you weigh that up, when you, when you contemplate what Jesus did, who endured such suffering, such cruelty and opposition at the hands of those who put him on the cross, that leads you again to a place of hope, of confident, joyful, and patient expectation that through what he has done for us, we are able to come to the Father. Team, can I have you come up and join me? I'm going to finish up in a moment. There's a verse in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we often use uh, when we're talking about mission or, or witnessing to people. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It's a great verse. It's an encouragement. It's a, to, for us to be like the angel who declared to the shepherds that we bring good news that will bring great joy. But that verse is much more difficult if we've forgotten the hope that we have or if we feel like our hopes have been crushed, or we feel like they've been delayed or deferred. It's not hard to imagine that for many of us, there have been things hoped for that have not come to pass over these last few years. Longings unfulfilled. Desires that never came to fruition. Hopes that have never turned into joy. Maybe there have been opportunities lost, or relationships that have been broken or damaged, or events that were promised but never happened. This morning, I want us to take the opportunity to again do what Hebrews 12 tells us and fix our eyes on Jesus, to set aside all else, to not be distracted by any other situation or circumstance, to not put our hope in an outcome or a result, but to find all our hope and all our joy in the person of Jesus. Jesus, who endured the cross, went through the pain and the suffering all for the joy of being able to bring us into right relationship with him and with Father God. I'm going to get the team to lead us in a song we haven't actually done in a number of years. I hope it's uh, familiar to many of you. But it's a beautiful song about the hope we have in Jesus, an anchored hope, a firm and secure hope. 
And while we sing it, I just want to invite all of us really to open our hearts, lift up our souls, put our trust in Jesus, and again, fix our eyes on him. And if you want to respond in any way, we'd love to invite you to come to the front through this time of worship, and our team would love to pray with you. Because I get the feeling this morning that these three words, the, the idea of confidence and joyful and patient, that different people have got different responses to that. And I believe that today God can restore those things, that there can be a restoration today of confident hope. It's not just wishful thinking, but it is a confident expectation. We'd love to pray for you for that. There may be some, though, today for whom it's the joy that has gone from some of these things. It's, it's the positive, joyful outlook that you are missing when you think about what, when you consider the future, or when you consider even the now. We'd love to pray for that restoration of joy that can be found in the presence of God. And to the idea of patience, of waiting, of delay, I pray today that God would restore patient hope in our lives, that he would fight against weariness. You know, one of the most important things in our faith is that God is with us in our suffering. He understands our suffering. He has been through the pain and torment of the cross. He knows what it is like even to have the delay between, the, the, Jesus had the delay between what he desired in, in relationship with the Father. He had to go through the suffering first. And so today I want to lift up each one of you and pray for that restoration of confident hope, of joyful hope, and of patient hope. Would you all stand with us if you're able? We're going to sing again. i just pray briefly before we sing. And then, as I say, while we're singing, just invite anyone who wants to respond could come forward. Lord, we just thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. That in the name of Jesus is the hope of all nations. And that in your presence, we can find joy. So this morning, I just lift up each one here as we head into this Christmas season. Lord, that you would remind us that in you, we have a confident hope, a certainty that your promise of deliverance, your promise of reconciliation is true and will not waver and will not fall. God, today I pray for a restoration of joy, a restoration of joyful hope, that all that people have gone through over these past few years and everything that people are still going through now, Lord, we would see it all in the light of your glory and all in the light of eternity and all with our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. God, that in your presence you would restore in us again that sense of joy, that sense of anticipation, that sense of longing fulfilled in our lives. And God, too, we pray for each one who needs the restoration of patience and hope. Lord, the understanding that delay, that waiting can be so hard, but also, Lord, that we can do it with confidence and with joy, patiently expecting what it is that you will do. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord.